esports industry is separated into front and back ends. Behind the five to ten players who are competing on stage, there's a whole team of support staff that can exceed 100 people. You don't necessarily have to be a player to make a living in this industry. Hello and welcome to Getting Pacific, where we get specific on trending topics straight from the newsroom at Taiwan Plus. I'm Joey Chow, and I'm Trevor Tordemasi. And for this episode of Getting Pacific, we're going to talk about one of my personal obsessions: video games. Trevor. Are you a gamer? Yeah, uh, you caught me. Definitely a gamer. Since uh, some of our listeners might not be gamers, we should try and paint a quick picture of the gaming landscape. I guess. What do you think of when you think of a gamer? Ooh, I guess myself and you now. But someone, I guess, who owns a console or a gaming PC, uh, a console meaning Xbox, PS4, sorry, PS5. We're old. Yeah, we're old. And uh, someone who maybe allocates time for some sit downs with a game that they're currently playing or loves going back to, and probably watches some video game related YouTube videos, and definitely at a party chats with their friends with a couple of drinks in their hands about the latest AAA blockbuster video games that's being. Be released, as opposed to my cool friends who talk about I don't know the next UFC fights or how the Lakers are doing this season. You know, that's a gamer to me. Right? Yeah. Any anyone basically who's uh, doing more than just turning the game on uh, and getting into maybe the lore behind something like uh, Baldur's Gate. You have your fantasy games, which I played recently. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna try and not talk too much about the video <laughs> games themselves because I will start ranting. Um, do you have more animated stuff like uh, maybe? fighting games, you have Street Fighter, Smash Brothers, and then you have some science fiction stuff like Cyberpunk. Uh, that's also a first-person shooter. So there's tons of, of types of games. Um, they can be role-playing games like RPGs, etc., etc. If you find yourself playing one of these and uh, getting really into it, you might be a gamer. Yeah, I myself like the names that, that you just mentioned. And by the way, Baldur's Gate 3, I remember playing the first one years ago. and now Oh it's, boy, we are old, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's gotten a lot better, a lot more story to it, right? And uh, if you're talking about stories, then Cyberpunk is, it's like a good sci-fi movie. It's a whole world building that you can immerse yourself in. And the best part is, it's a video game. So you play the character, you can move around in this world how you like. And one day when video games become virtual reality, you can really feel like you're living in it. And I think that's what really excites me about video games. Yeah. And something like that being a role playing game, which is when you like run around and you talk to people and you have your little stories and stuff, it's immersive. And what I like about it personally is that it's not very competitive. I don't have to compete against someone, but some people love that. They they live for that competition. And some people live for it so much, they live by it. They live on it uh, and they make money from that competition. I guess you're right. You know, I guess you and I like to take things at our own pace. But there are people who are really gung-ho about being one of the best. And that's kind of what, yeah, we're talking about today. So to paint a little perspective for you, our listeners, the global gaming market is growing at a monstrous rate. It's already generating more than 
than three times the global music and movie industries combined. In 2020, the global music industry is valued at approximately 20 billion U.S. dollars, and the film industry about 40 billion U.S. dollars. So that's 60 if you add them together. The total global video game industry is at around 160 billion U.S. dollars, and this was back in 2020. Just last year, it's grown to 190 billion U.S. dollars. So mind you, more than half of that is mobile games because everyone has a mobile device, and they're all kinds of games you can download and make in-app purchases. A lot of money is made there. Oh, we could do a whole other episode on in-app purchases. It's a whole other rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But the rest of that bunch of money goes to console games, like we mentioned before. Microsoft's Xbox, Sony's PS5, Nintendo's Switch. You also have computer or PC games. And then finally, the last piece of that puzzle, esports. Today, we're going to talk about the last category, esports competitive gaming. We'll find out whether or not you should unplug your kids' computers and tell them to go play it outside or let them hone their interest and perhaps become a professional gamer in a billion US dollar industry. Yeah, so uh, really there are pretty strict restrictions for what can be an eSport, uh, which games can be competitive. Obviously, the ones we talked about that are RPGs or role-playing games, not really competitive. Um, you can compete for how fast you finish the game, of course, but that's, that's kind of another... Wow, we could do a whole other episode on speedrunning too, but that's not what we're talking <laughs> about today. For example, which games are really competitive? When you get into fighting games and first-person shooters, you sit two people down next to each other or across from each other and have them duke it out on the screen. It's clear how that kind of competition can become a sport. Finally, there are also real-time strategy games, also called RTSs. Um, If you've heard of esports, you've probably heard of famous names like StarCraft or Dota or League of Legends. Those are games where you click around the screen to send your little champions to do stuff. Uh, These games absolutely exploded in popularity in the early 2000s with massive amounts of coverage across the media landscape and massive amounts of cash prizes. So it's no surprise that a lot of people around the world make a living off of esports and its peripheral industries. There are reports that the global esports market size is valued at around 1.7 billion USD in 2023 and is projected to grow to nearly 7 billion USD by 2030. Uh, But I think that is still a gross underestimation of how big the esports gaming industry can get. Yeah. So just how big has esports gotten? Well, this report from Taiwan Plus bears testament to that question. Taiwan has made Asian Games history by being one of the first countries to stand on the podium for esports. The Asian Games in Hangzhou, China features competitive video gaming, or esports, as an official category for the first time ever. It's the biggest international multi-sport competition to include esports so far. Taiwan backed two medals for the video game, Street Fighter V. Bruce Shang took silver, while Ling Liwei earned bronze. The gold went to South Korea's Kim Guan-woo. Oh man, you know, I never thought, Trevor, that I hear such nerd talk about a uh, international sporting event. <laughs> yeah, it's really validating, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. So, as you heard, for the first time ever, Asia Games 2023 featured esports as a category for athletes from around Asia to compete in, and I'm still <laughs> contemplating if I should call them athletes. Uh, the games that they competed in were Arena of Valor, Dota 2, Dream 3 Kingdoms 2, FIFA Online, League of Legends, Game for Peace, and Street Fighter 5. Uh, you you 
mentioned whether or not to call them athletes, man. You, if you've seen how fast they click, uh, that is that is some athletic stuff. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, we should note that two of the games they compete in, uh, Dota 2's World Championship prize pool is around 3.4 million USD, and for League of Legends or LOL, it's 2.2 million USD. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and that's just the prize money alone. Now imagine how much is invested in the entire championship, from salaries paid to players, support staff, to promoters and broadcast media. Now, for more numbers, of the games we mentioned that were competed in at the Asia Games, I only play FIFA Online, a game modeled after the World Cup football competition, and I know that EA Sports, the company that makes the FIFA games, reported that they made nearly six billion in online services and other income in 2022 microtransactions oh for sure yes you basically like a randomized uh, card drawing scheme right you use credits that were bought with real money and uh, with these credits you can either draw for cards which are players and you might or might not get good ones uh, so if you don't get good ones you keep on drawing and you can also monetize like skins and stuff like if you have a little character and you want his shirt to be green well you can buy that shirt online for real life money yeah I mean, if you got a good striker, you know, you get really proud of the little guy. So you want him to be donning his best gear. You want to put your face on that shirt? Five dollars. Exactly. That kind of stuff can make a lot of money. Now, for comparison, FIFA 2022 in Qatar, the live football, the actual championship itself, grossed just over seven billion U.S. dollars for the FIFA Council. So remember, we said that FIFA the game made nearly six billion in online services and other income in 2022. So the revenue generated from esports events is. Already rivaling that of traditional sports. I just needed to sit in silence, kind of process that number. Well, um, <laughs> looking at just how big esports can get, uh, what are the hurdles along the way for this industry? For that, we spoke with Santiago Huang, founder of a Taiwanese company called Four Gamer. The company first started by holding esports competitions, and in recent years, they've expanded their business to include business marketing, online media, and signing gaming-related streamers and gaming industry influencers. Streamers being people who basically go on Twitch or streaming websites, and people will log on to watch them play games. Sometimes because they're funny, sometimes because they're cool, uh, but mostly because they're really good at the games and people want to see how they play. Yeah, that's really. Really impressive to see how quickly their thumbs can twiddle, and <laughs> also how good they are at knowing exactly what their characters do at every situation. Uh, so we asked Santiago, who was a professional esport player, having won multiple championships in the early 2000s. First of all, what does it take to be a good esport player? Is it all about your thumbs? All about the reflexes? How quickly can you move around your mouse and click stuff? Or is there more to an esport champion? Reflex might be a basic necessity, but in elite gaming, strategy is much more important. For example, the team that I led back in the day won quite a few competitions in Taiwan. What we did was excessively study the design of the game we competed in. For example, we're familiar with every map in Counter-Strike. Even though the character spawn location is random, we knew exactly where the nearest vantage point or strategic location was. There's also the match economy to consider for both sides. The resources you receive for winning each round affects the weapon you can purchase and how to strategize for the next round. If you know your opponent's match economy, then you counteract accordingly. 
League of Legends is another very popular game at the moment in their professional teams. Aside from the player's performance, a lot of the information is processed by their coach, who is in charge of tactical choices during the matches, and uh, analysts who calculate optimal strategies whenever a new version of the game is released. In elite gaming, the probability of wins, losses are usually quite apparent as soon as the teams are laid out. This is very different from traditional sports. So in elite sports competitions, applied mathematics and engineering is very important. Yeah, so in a lot of traditional sports, there's still room for a Hail Mary. You know, you could still come back and win with even just minutes left or seconds left to the game. Uh, but when it comes to esports, oh, it's a lot more than just quick reflexes. On one hand is the data and information side. You would have had to explore every possible way to win the game, knowing every little secret behind every single door, calculate the distance in pixels between this wall to the next, create spreadsheets comparing the difference between all the weapons, armors, and power-ups. Then, on the other hand, there is the player performance, but when your strategy is already based on so much data and information, as soon as any scenario presents itself, you kind of already know exactly what you need to do to win the game. So the performance side is now down to perfect execution and minimizing human error. You would have had to practice every single movement thousands of times so that you can achieve a very specific set of results produced by the game design, which is frankly just lines of code. You no longer see the game. You you see millions of lines of code before your eyes. Yeah, it's like Neo in the Matrix. More realistically, it's like uh, you see the guy on Twitch and you zoom out from him in his uh, computer chair and behind him is just a wall filled with red string going from data point to data point about how to play the game. Uh, <laughs> there are many ways that esports athletes and analysts have developed to track performance. One of the ones that is actually most important is called actions per minute or APM. Basically, if you click on the screen to make your little dude move, that's one action. And if you click an enemy to initiate an attack, that's another action, etc., etc. As you get more efficient, you make these clicks and commands faster and faster. Maybe you're clicking on one hand and you're pressing a keyboard on the other hand. And some professional esports athletes have been recorded averaging around 400 actions per minute uh, with one current record holder peaking at more than 800 APM. <laughs> hear my voice break from the amazement. That's the equivalent of performing around 13 actions per second. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, that's literally right on par with some of the fastest piano player keystrokes on record. Oh my gosh. So not only are we comparing these guys to athletes, we're also comparing them to classical musicians. I mean, at some point it is kind of like an instrument. It is, right? Um, but it's a very meticulous process to get that good. Trevor, how many hours of practice do you think a professional esport gamer needs? Um, how long can a person stay awake? <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. So I've heard an average of 8 to 12 hours a day from some industry friends. You have to basically repeat and perfect every facet of your performance. And even worse, some esport athletes have recorded up to 16 hours of practice just before a tournament. Yeah, wow. Uh, that means, uh, I don't know, 7 hours of sleep, 1 hour to eat. Uh, but you're sitting in front of a screen basically all day. That's a lot. Yeah, and I wonder if gaming is still fun at that point. Uh, and when you spend that much time on practices, you definitely don't have time to straddle a day job. Right. It has to it has to be your day job. That takes you from casual gaming to professional mastery. It's 
no longer a hobby, but now you have to live and breathe the games. It wouldn't be fun for me, but to, to be that good, to attend competitions or to live off the income generated from it, I mean, I guess that's what some people just got to do. Right. So we asked Santiago, how much can esport players make? Uh, this can vary greatly. Uh, first of all, different types of games will have very different results. Uh, let's not even talk about the top earners. Let's focus on the mid to low end. A player who was committed, is good at the game, and has a thorough understanding of the game can usually make for a pretty good streamer. Not only do they have better insight, they can even crack jokes and chat with the viewers while maintaining a rather intense gameplay. This type of player can easily make 50,000 NT a month. The players that I know far exceed that amount. But without this background, as a professional gamer, to make a living out of streaming is much harder. But to be honest, the esports industry is separated into front and back ends. Behind the 5 to 10 players who are competing on stage, there's a whole team of support staff that can exceed 100 people. Within this group of people, some have expert skill sets such as production, broadcast, or commentating. You don't necessarily have to be a player to make a living in this industry. There are many people with the knowledge of streaming hardware and viewer interaction who can all find work in the day and age of new media and support the industry. So, of course, it depends on the game you play, uh, how many potential viewers are willing to watch you compete or stream your gameplay. Now, here are some of the top competitive online games in the world. The biggest shooter or first-person shooter game is called PUBG. It has north of 100 million online players, which potentially means 100 million online viewers. If you're one of the best and you stream your games on Twitch, uh, then maybe they're willing to watch you. And from the uh, 50 million players downwards there's apex legend with 50 million fortnite with 45 million players counter-strike global offensive with 35 million players and there's league of legends with 27 million gamers league of legends is one of the games that was competed at asia games in 2023 uh, it's actually one of the games with uh, fewer numbers of players with just 27 million players online so let's take that and give you these numbers professional league of legend esport players they have reported to make uh, an earning of about 1000 to 5000 us dollars a month Outside of competing, if they stream their gameplay, League of Legends streamers with, say, 2,000 subscribers, which is not a lot, can earn about 5,000 US dollars per month. So if you add the two sources of income together, a mid-level League of Legends gamer and streamer can potentially make anywhere between six to 10,000 US dollars a month. And that's a pretty decent living. Uh, for comparison, on average, Tyler Belvins, a AKA Ninja, that's his game handle, the biggest esport player and streamer, has 18 million followers on his channel and is estimated to make about 20 million US dollars a year. So that's potentially how much you can make if you're one of the best in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't watch any competitive gaming online or anywhere, and even I've heard of Ninja. Oh yeah. Despite the potential lucrative income from competing and streaming, in recent years, a lot of top-notch and championship-winning Taiwanese esports teams have decided to part ways. The latest being Flash Wolf, a very well-established conglomerate of esports organizations that's announced that yet another squad of theirs decided to disband, and their coach retiring from competing altogether. So I asked Santiago, how are esports doing in Taiwan? 
I think when you talk about running esports teams, the business model is very important. Esports is still a very young industry. We're still figuring it out. Early gamers thought that playing well meant that they would get sponsors, which, as we found out, is not necessarily the case. Esports teams need more marketing strategies to highlight their value to investors. Professional players might have little to no experience in running a business or an agency, but I do believe that after after a while, some of the people with the right backgrounds will emerge and bring their expertise to the industry. Uh, take myself for example; the team I led won championships. Yet, why did we disband? Because I knew that without proper business knowledge, I have no idea what the sponsors or the game company investors really want. We're in our own worlds writing business proposals, but no one can really understand what we're offering. On the other hand, I think that the esports industry hasn't reached its full potential.、Uh, take the target audience, for example. Ten years ago, we all wanted a pair of Air Jordans, but we couldn't afford them. Now you see people with ten or more pairs at home. Our generation now has the financial means to fulfill the dreams of our younger days. We can spend it on what we couldn't buy as children. That's when the industry will fully realize its potential, be it the games, the hardware, or any related products. It may take another five to ten years for that consumer market to fully mature. Okay, so while I wouldn't recommend that you listening to this show right now fully commit your professional career into esports, it's possible that your kids in say five to ten years could be looking at a multi-billion-dollar industry that they can actually make a decent living out of. Yeah, well,、uh, if you can click fast enough, <laughs> that is. Yeah. So today on esports, we talked about the sheer size of the global game industry and what percentage of that goes to esports. And we also looked at the vast. Array of genres of gaming and which ones kind of fit the mold for becoming competitive.、Um, it's not only can you compete in a game; it's can you monetize the fair and balanced competition of a game, and、uh, maybe the resulting merchandise from the、uh, click athletes、uh, that are participating in it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Can you monetize it? That's a good word. And today we also talked about the potential growth of the esport industry. While right now、uh, it seems like only Players, aka athletes and streamers, are making the most money. But in the future, I mean, it's possible that outside of the game makers themselves, you know, the visual designers, the coder,、uh, the marketing team of the game companies,、uh, there's also the support staff of these esports competitions,、uh, people who broadcast them,、uh, the MCs who host these events on stage. They can all make money, and these are the peripheral industries that can grow out of esports. So, what do you think? How is esports where you are?、Uh, if you like to share some of your thoughts with us,、uh, what games you like to play the most? Please, you can find me as Joey Taipei on Facebook and Instagram. You can also add Joey Taipei on LOL and go own him.、Um, <laughs> and you can also find me on Instagram and everywhere else at Trebatsky. And if you want more news and views from Taiwan and around the world, head on over to TaiwanPlus.com or find Taiwan Plus News on YouTube, Instagram, and. Twitter. Join us again next time on Getting Pacific. I have been Joey Chow, and I'm Trevor Tordemasi. Thanks for listening. I hope we got Pacific enough for you. And until next time, game on.